0: We're in a series called Lost in Real Life, and we're hitting big areas where we actually feel lost in life. Uh, where we feel like we don 't know where to go, what to do, or how to get out, and, and they 're connected to it are really oftentimes a predominant feeling that 's connected to it, uh, and this morning that feeling what we 're talking about is 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 feeling like a failure in life i, I won 't ask you to raise your hand if you ever felt that, um, but I have okay we got one honest person to me you 're like yes amen um, we 're starting off we 're failures all right, um, welcome to church. Uh, but no, but here's the deal. I'm actually excited to talk about this this morning. Here's the reason why. Not because I feel like I figured it out, but I feel oftentimes there's been consecutive moments in my life where I felt like a failure. And if I've gone back to what God's word said in and, and that moment. And, and, I mean, there's moments where he, there's times as a dad, I just go, man, that was a that was a parent fail, you know, uh, and failure. You know, the uh, Avengers movie that came out, Age of Ultron, anybody go see that movie? I'll just share a parent fail moment. The first Avengers movie, my wife had, like, some, like, shower, like, baby shower or something. So that, how, that was, like, three years ago or something like that, two years ago. I don't know, three years ago. So my kids would be seven, <laughs> um, uh, minus eight, five, and two. I took them because I wanted to see it to the Avengers movie, and and talk about a parent fail moment as like the preview for the Dark Knight comes on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, no! Covered their eyes, and they're like having nightmares for like, Dad, don't take me there. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a failure. <laughs> I failed. I says PG 13. I should listen to. The parental guidance, thank you very much. But there's so many times in life where we feel like failures. And what I want to talk about this morning is maybe a little bit different angle of it. Um, Is is what do you do when your life doesn't go according to your plan? Uh, You ever been there, you know, when life... When, when, when the plans that you had for your life, they don't come to fruition. When life doesn't go according to plan, and, and for those of us, uh, you know, who have lived uh, a little bit, uh, I can't say I've lived a lot, but I've lived a little bit enough to know that life rarely goes according to plan. Uh, but here's the problem with this, is when life doesn't go according to our plan, you know what the predominant feeling is? Failure think about it. What do you do when your marriage doesn't go according to plan? And you stood at the altar looking into each other's eyes and talking about the dreams and desires and the vows that you made before God and before others and and then your your marriage a few years into it doesn't go according to plan and you're lost, not sure what to do or Or what do you do when your plan's for your kids? It doesn't go according to plan. And they're not becoming who you dreamed of. In fact, they're making some decisions and you can't undo those decisions. They're getting old enough that their decisions are making really big impacts on their, what do you do? And you look at it and you feel this sense of failure. And just, can I say this, especially for parents, your failure, by the way, does not make you a failure. Can you, that, you just may need to write that down. Your failure doesn't make you a failure. It is not who you are. It's an event, something that was done. Okay, back to the point. Uh, sorry, I just, it was like, I just felt like somebody needed to hear that right there, especially in the area of kids. Uh, and so your marriage, your kids... Maybe it's in, in your singleness. Maybe you're single a lot farther or a lot longer than you ever dreamed of. It wasn't according to your plan. You had at 27 and a half, you would meet the right man or the right guy because you'd already be established in your career. You'd have everything figured out, and then you'd get married, and you'd have at least one baby before 30, and you had all these plans and it didn't work out that way and you're single a lot longer than you planned and it feels a lot further than anyone else and you're looking around and you feel like failure. Maybe it's with work and work doesn't go according to plan and even even when it's, you're doing your best and you're working your hardest and, and it's like one of those things where you just go, oh man, the company decides it needs to downsize and your plan was to retire there and they said, hey, done, or, or you know, college, this is one of those things in college, you, you have a plan about work too because the whole life was like planned for you, right, you know, until the end of college you're like, you know, um, your life's planned out and now you get to plan your life and, and you have spent all this time studying to get this degree, to get this job, and then you, what if you don't get that job and all of a sudden you're working a different job and it feels an awful lot like Failure. Here's what I love about the Bible. One of the things that I just so love about the Bible and talking about real life is it's not filled with a bunch of lists of to-dos and don'ts and moral ethics, though certainly that is in here. Primarily, if you read the Bible, it's filled with stories. It's filled with people's stories. It's filled with real lives that really lived and talks about how they went about life and trusting God in the midst of life. It, it, what I love about this is, is it's not like a fairy tale in, that these people who lived didn't realize they're in chapter 39 and that chapter 40 was coming and so they're okay. It was just their real life. They didn't know the end of the story, even though they were in a a part of the story they didn't want to be in. And I just suggest you don't know the end of the story. Even though you may be in a part of the story, you don't want to be in. And so what do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? I want to look at a story in the Bible that so captivated me. And I believe if you would take time to unpack this story, God wants to speak to you. If you're in a chapter in your life, they go, man, it didn't go according to plan. Or maybe you've looked over some chapters in your life and go, oh, it didn't go according to plan. And I think God wants to do some things here that would either I think for some it's gonna greatly encourage you, and for some, I just just give you a heads up, just give you a little heads up. It might greatly convict you and it will be good. For you, uh, the story is the story of Joseph. Uh, anybody know that? Just so I know, anybody know the story of Joseph? Heard of it growing up? Okay, a handful, most of you. Okay, uh, I just want to do my best to tell the whole story of Joseph. Uh, what's problematic in it is Joseph is. We find a story in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and. And his story takes up more uh, chapters, more content than any other story in the Bible, uh, or in Genesis, that is, more than Adam and Eve, more than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Joseph. So I got a lot to cover, and I want to just tell you about his story, but I think it's something about seeing the whole story instead of just judging our lives by a part of our story that is so profound when we're asking this plan, what do you, or this question, when, what do you do when life doesn't go according to plan because we judge our lives. We look at our lives as a part of the story and miss out on the whole story. So I'm going to tell you the whole story this morning. Okay, you ready? If you got your notes, let's dig in. And you can break up the story of Joseph in three big parts. You can break it up in his family life, and that's from birth until 17. You can break it up. Uh, The next stage is then from from family life into what we call, I, I call enslavement or prison. He spent 13 years as a slave and then in prison. And then you move on, and the third stage of his life was one where he experienced prosperity, where he was second in command of all of Egypt. And I just want to tell that story in those three stages. And a little bit about Joseph's life. He is one of 12 boys, had sisters, but in that day they didn't really count women, and today we do, thank God. Uh, But there's 12 boys, he was one of 12 boys, um, but from four different women. Talk about a a, dysfunctional—this is like, they they put defunct in dysfunctional. This family did. I mean, it was messed up. And and one of the things I want you to know about, like, when you read the Bible, what I love is it's so real, and it just describes what's really happening. And and that's even kind of looking at it. When you go, realize much of it is descriptive. It's describing what happened, not prescriptive, not how it should happen. Because it's humans like you, like me— who are figuring out and wrestling with how do we live out this life. And so Joe's one of, four, uh, one of 12 boys, uh, four different women, He's got a dad who's absolutely passive, who actually only loved one of the four women, which is messed up, and then favored one of the 12 sons, which is really messed up, created all sorts of tension. Now, you could go back and read like all the way he, uh, Jacob was so passive because it's crazy. I mean, it's like bizarre. You're like, wow. And, and what's amazing is when you read it, you go, wow. And God was able to use that family to bring about great good eventually. And I just would encourage you, because some of you, you feel like your past defines your life. You feel like you can't move forward because of your past and where you've been, and you feel so imperfect. And when we read the pages of Scripture, we see a God who uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan. And for some, you're living in your past instead of learning from your past. And there is a massive difference. And so we see Joe grew up with an incredibly dysfunctional family, passive dad who chose him to be his favorite son, even though he was the second youngest son, but the firstborn to the one woman he actually loved, and he so showed favoritism to him that he put on what would be known the patriarchal coat it 's the coat of many colors, if you know you know that that story, and it's literally the sleeves would go all the way down here, so you wouldn 't do work in it. So his brothers would always be out working, but as the favored son, he wouldn't work. He'd be at home enjoying the favor of his dad, and yet his brothers are slaving doing the work for their dad. Created a lot of tension, and the and his brothers weren't the greatest, nicest of guys. And so it created incredible jealousy, hatred, for, his, uh, for Joseph among his brothers. So he had a passive dad, jealous brothers, and then Then what happens to a kid that you give everything to? Anybody? Spoiled brat! Joe was a spoiled brat. I mean, he was the very beginning of Generation Me, by the way. I mean, this is Joe right here. The entitled generation started with Joe. It didn't start, you know, with the millennials. It started with Joe all the way back here. It was all about him. In fact, his dreams revolved all about him. I mean, think about this. He had two major dreams that he shared with other people, particularly his brothers and his dad, which is not smart. He had one dream where like, he and his brothers are like working, which I, get, I don't think he really works, so that was already offensive. He's like, "We're gathering bundles of wheat, and my weed, bundle of wheat stood straight up, and then, then there's 11 bundles of wheat that you gathered, and they hopped over to my bundle of wheat and bowed down to it. What do you think that means? means we're going to get you, Joe. That's what I think that means. I think you're an idiot. That's what I think that means. Mm-hmm. And, and then he has another dream. Talk about center of the universe, like megalomaniac, you know, I mean, entitled to the hilt. He has this dream. He's like, okay, so guys, I had another dream. I just got to tell you, man, it's a great dream. Okay, you're going to love this dream. Okay, here it is. So the sun and the moon yeah, got that? Okay. And then the 11 stars, there's only 11. I don't know. I mean, I know we look up and we see thousands and thousands of stars, but there's only 11 this night. It's weird how there's only 11. They all came and bowed down to me. What do you, I don't know. What do you think that means? You know, I mean, <laughs> shoot. And his dad's going like, um, okay, Joe, I really like you, but that took that one was a little far. Okay, you think me and your mom are actually going to bow down to you? You think Joe's dream as a teenager was to rule over his family, to be the center of attention, and he shared it with his brothers. And so one day, one day, his dad says, hey, Joe, you, yeah, because he's home with his dad. He says, hey, Joe, would you go check on your brothers who are working? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Puts on his coat his long, big coat, you know what I'm saying? And and drives, no, he drives the donkey uh, all the way out. And they see him from a long way off, and he says, wait a second. You know, we're tired of this. We're tired of this guy. What do we do? And their first plan was like, let's kill him. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, that's how most brothers feel if they have a snotty younger brother, which is older brothers, okay? They just don't ever actually do it. So they, they wisened up. They said, okay, if, if we kill him, we don't get anything out of it. Let's sell him. And so they sold him into slavery. Made some money, told his dad, took back his coat, ripped it up, told him, hey, he got eaten. He's dead. Sorry, dad. Man, it hurts, man. It's sad to see Joe gone. And so Joe, at 17 years of age, was sold into slavery, ended up getting sold to a guy named Potiphar in Egypt. Now, now Potiphar, uh, Potiphar was what would we would consider like the chief of the secret service for Egypt, for the king there. I mean, he was a stud royal general man. And, and Joe starts off at the bottom of the barrel in slavery there, and he begins to work his way up up, and Potiphar takes notice of this guy who, man, it just seems like everything he does, he's doing great. And so he just puts him in charge of more, puts him in charge of more, puts him eventually in charge of his whole household. Now, Potiphar wasn't the only person that took notice of Joe, Uh, Potiphar's wife did, because Joe was good looking. He said, wow, Joe, or she said, wow, Joe, and so she wanted to get to know Joe, but like, biblically, get to know Joe, you know what I'm saying? Like, get to know him. Seriously, you with me? Okay, he did, and so day after day, she pursued and pressed, and he just, like, jumped around, and he said, no, 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 you just don't understand. I can't do anything that would violate my God or your husband. Remember, he's the Secret Service. He's a big guy. I'm not going to do that. Now we give Joe a lot of credit here, and maybe he deserved it. But the the Bible says that Joe was handsome in stature. It doesn't describe Potiphar's wife. We it could have been real easy for him. Just saying, just saying. I mean, it could have been like, no, no, I. Uh, just saying. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. (laughs) One day, one day Joe finds himself working in a particular area, and uh, Potiphar's wife corners him, forcing him, herself upon him, and he runs out of the room. She grabs his coat. Second time he's lost his coat, by the way, he lost his coat, runs out naked, and she blames him and screams out, this Jewish boy you brought tried to take advantage of me. And, and we get from, from the context inferred that Potiphar didn't even believe his wife because what does a military man do when he thinks his home's threatened? What does a military man who's chief secret of the guard to a slave whose property has little, little regard for humanity, what's he going to do to Joe if he really thinks Joe's a threat? kill him he's going man my <laughs> I, he's going to my trusted servant life's been great and now this great i can't do nothing so i have to do something so he sends joe to the royal prison now story happens again he's in prison in jail and, and yet he's faithful right where he's at and and he begins to work I just think it's so fascinating that this guy in the dungeon begins to be faithful with what's in front of him, and the jailer takes notice and gives him a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more responsibility, and this guy eventually begins running the prison as a prisoner. Wow, well, that's pretty good. And the jailer's pretty happy. One day, one day two, two guys show up because it's the royal prison one is the cupbearer for the king the other is a baker they both had dreams and it's interesting Joe started out with a dream and in his world and the privileged life and dysfunctional life it was all about him now he's in unfair circumstances and it's not all about him and it's, it's interesting isn't it when we're in the midst of those moments we don't dream a whole lot and yet two guys came with him, came to him with a dream and they're starting to tell them his, their dream and he looks at him and goes hey you know what I'm gonna shoot it straight with you. Here's 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 what you need to know. Cupbearer, your dream means you're actually gonna get reinstated and be back in the king's court and be the cupbearer. And when you go, when you go, remember me. I shouldn't be here. I was unjustly accused. Remember me before the king. And so I can only imagine that the baker is then going, like, cool, that was pretty good. I wonder what mine is. And he turns to the baker. Bro, it's in the Hebrew. It's the original Hebrew. He started with bro. <laughs> that man is bad news. Your dream actually means in three days you're going to be hung. You need to get your your life in order. And what courage! Did it take? I mean, how easy would it have been in that moment staring someone in the face to deliver hard news that they needed to hear so they could make the most of the last moments of their life? But how much easier would it have been just simply to sit there and go, yeah, you're going to be great too. Because <laughs> we, want, we want people to feel nice, feel good about themselves. And he had the courage in that moment to share what was really True. Now, what happens is the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. He's in the prison two more years. This whole thing happens in chapter 39. Chapter 39 is the chapter of unfair circumstances. Chapter 39 is the chapter where life goes uh, not according to your plan. Chapter 39 is when you get a raw deal by a boss, when you lose your job, when your family's not going the way you want. That's chapter 39. And in the middle of chapter 39, I think one of the questions we ask is is where's God? Where's God when life doesn't go according to plan? And here's what's interesting. You know about Joseph. Joseph here, he did everything right and still it went wrong. That violates something intrinsically in us, doesn't it? Because we buy into, if we do what's right, then everything will go. Help me out. Right. So, what, ha- what about when you do everything right and everything goes wrong? Where's God then? Where is God in the midst of unfair, unjust circumstances? Where is God in the midst of a life that is so far off your plan you feel like you're enslaved to something or in the dungeons of despair? You know, interesting, four times in chapter 39 you see this phrase, and God Was with Joseph. Chapter 39, the darkest chapter of Joseph's life, summed up 13 years, summed up in one chapter 13 long years, 13, not 13 days, not 13 hours, 13 years. Chapter 39. Four times in chapter 39, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph. Where was God? Where was he? What was God up to? You know where he's at in your chapter 39 moment, in your chapter 39 part of life, when life doesn't go according to plan. You know where God is? He's with you. See, God thinks his presence with you is enough. You're staring at me with such blank faces on that. Okay. Um, The most often command in scripture is simply this do not be afraid. It's always coupled with this next phrase for I will fix everything. Oh, wait a second. It's not. It's not do not be afraid because I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to fix your problem. I'm going to erase that chapter of your life. It's always coupled with do not be afraid for I am with you. And if I am with you, that is enough. You can go through your chapter 39s know how many, no matter how many years they are because God is with you in the middle of your chapter 39 moments. Where's God? When life goes in a way you didn't plan, he says, by the way, I'm with you all the way, and that is enough. Now, the Pharaoh had a dream. The Pharaoh had a dream that, that I just got to tell you, I think his wise guys could interpret. I think the wise guys around him, it's not a complicated dream. It was an easy dream. In fact, I mean, I think if you don't know the story of Joseph and I tell you the dream, you could probably, you know, think about it and come up with a pretty close explanation that Joseph came with. It's Pharaoh had a dream. He, sa- he said, you know, and there's a couple different versions of it, but I'll tell you one of them. He saw five or seven fat cows. They're grazing by the Nile, and they're hanging out doing life, and they saw seven scrawny, just miserable, Miserable looking cows. And the seven scrawny, miserable-looking cows came and literally, this is kind of a weird picture, ate the seven fat cows. But that's how dreams go, right? I mean, we I mean that's how our dreams are. They're f- freaky and funny and weird all at the same time. And, and he says, Ate it. And the king wakes up disturbed and he asks his wise guys, tell me what this means. Now nobody wants to tell the king bad news, by the way. Because most of the time, when you tell the king bad news, you, you die. So I think his wise guys are looking around, going, You want to tell him? Nah, you go. Hey, who's the new guy? We, we, didn't we hire just a new wise guy? Let's, let's get him in. He's a new guy. Go, go. No, I'm not going. No, no, it's your job. Oh, Pharaoh, we don't know. Not a clue. We've, the gods have not spoken. Might have had a bad burrito. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The cupbearer. And the cupbearer in that day was oftentimes the king's closest confidant. Says, hey, um, king, my bad, but like two years ago, (laughs) here's this guy in prison. I I don't know if he's still alive, but but, but he told me the value and what my dream was, and then uh, you probably don't remember the baker, but he told him the baker's dream, and both came true. He had the courage to tell you and me or me and the baker what was true and give him the hard news maybe you should bring him up and I love this joseph joseph takes his time going before the king He's, he he steps into an unexpected opportunity and by the way his unexpected opportunity be, uh, came about because he was faithful with this present reality Some of you need to hear that. I'm going to hit that a little bit later if I have time. I'm going way long on Joseph's story. But his unexpected opportunity came as a result because he was faithful with his present reality of what was in front of him, not what he longed to do. He said, I'm going to be faithful right here. He had no idea what hung in the balance of his faithfulness that propelled him then to the king's court. And so he takes his time for it, shaves his beard, because in Egypt to have a beard, although not today, it's reversed, right? In Egypt to have a beard was bad. Today to have a beard is manly and cool and hipster, right? So it's just reversed. Think of it reversed. And he shows up before the king and says, O king of Israel, or of Egypt, Pharaoh. And, and this next line is so powerful. Chapter 41. He, this is his opening line to the king so good you know what he says I can not interpret your dream but God will that was his opening line you know what he learned in 13 years world didn't revolve around him and his ability was not all that great you know what he learned in chapter 39 of his life? He learned that he had a God who's greater than him, a God who can do more than him, a God that he had to rely on, and a God who's with him, and his witness was enough. And so whether he stood before the king or stood before a jailer, I cannot, but God will. Mm could it be in the chapter 39's of your life God is forging something so much more precious and valuable in you and to miss out on it you will not be able to stand before the pharaohs of your time and be able to stand with the conviction that it's not about me it's all about God I cannot but God will. And he interprets the dream, and he does this. I love this. He takes advantage. He takes advantage of his moment. He doesn't just interpret the dream. He just quickly adds in. He, goes, he gives Pharaoh advice. <laughs> but, but Pharaoh, hey, a wise man, someone, who you know, would do this, and he gives him advice, and Pharaoh's looking around at all his wise guys and going, yeah, I don't got one of those. I choose you. He moves from the prison cell to the palace, becomes second in command over Israel or over Egypt. And as a result, saves his family during the seven years of famine. Did I explain that part? I don't think I did. So the image, okay, I'll get back to that. There are seven fat cows, and he, he explains the dream to the Pharaoh. The seven fat cows were seven years of plenty, and the seven skinny cows were seven years of famine. And he says, he tells them, hey, you need to prepare in the seven good years for the seven lean years, Joseph set up a second in command to do that part of it, and he does. And as a result, his family, who would have perished in in the famine, are able to come to Egypt not knowing that Joseph is there, the second in command, and he saves his family life and saves a nation. Now here's, here's what's amazing. At the very end of Joe's life, his father dies, his whole family moved to Egypt, And now his brothers are scared. I mean, think about it. Your bro that you sold into slavery is now the second in command of Egypt, and he has the power of life and death, and you're the one that sent him to be a slave. And now dad's gone, and dad was kind of like, he felt like their buffer, right? And so they come to him and go, hey, Joe, buddy, (laughs) pal, no hard feelings, right? No, come on, no hard feelings. And here's what Joseph says. You intended to harm me, but God, It's is the biggest but in the world, by the way, <laughs> but God intended it for good. See, some of you are in the middle of a moment, and you're in the middle of a chapter 39 because someone else, and it was intended to harm, is intended to harm your marriage, is intended to harm you at the workplace, is intended to harm your soul, but you have a God so much bigger that even though humans intend to cause great harm to you, God can then use that and intend it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, the big idea here, God's plan, God's plan for your life is infinitely better than your plan for your life. God's plan for your life is infinitely better than your plan. Think about Joe's plan for his life. Joe's plan for his life was simply to rule his family. God's plan for his life was to save his family and rule a nation. I think so oftentimes we settle in this life because we want our plan over God's plan. And we try to run from chapter 39s and embrace them as part of God's plan. See, here, here's the truth. It's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God has a plan for your life. And you don't want to miss it. Sometimes it's hard to embrace in the middle of your chapter 39 moments, but God says this, Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a dark moment in the nation of Israel. They are scattered. And God says this to them in their darkest moment, for I have a plan for you, declares the Lord, plan for your welfare and your good, not your calamity, your harm like, yeah, well, that's the people of Israel. That's the Old Testament. God had a plan for them. It's just me. Does God have a plan for me? Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship. God's created ones. God's God's prize project. God's God's masterpiece. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared. He planned in advance for you to do. Think about that. Before you knew you, God knew you, and God had a plan. See, God has a plan for your life, and you do not want to miss it. And even when it doesn't look like it's working out, it can be working out. It doesn't have to look like it's all working out just right for it to actually be working out. So we get so scared in the chapter 39 moments of, this is unjust, this is unfair, and, and what if they do this, and what about this, and what about my marriage? It doesn't look like it's all working out. It doesn't look like this should be part of the plan for God's plan to actually work out and here's what you need to know in your chapter 39 moments because you don't know chapter 40 is coming it feels like chapter 39 is the end of it all is if you're not dead God's not done with you yet if you're not dead then God is still at work and still moving and your story hasn't ended yet. There are more chapters to come and you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your faithfulness now in the middle of the dark chapter of your life. See, um, that whole idea, God has a plan for your life, even when your plan isn't working out? I just want to just give you three big ideas to make sure that you're in the middle of God's plan even if your plan isn't working out. How do you make sure that you don't miss out on God's plan even though you're in the middle of a chapter 39 moment? Because we don't know how long chapter 39s are. For Joseph, it was 13 years. First check, just to check whether you're in a chapter 39 moment, is an integrity check. An integrity check. We see this with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Had no idea that saying no there and doing what's right, even though it went wrong, would then propel him to the palace And for some, it's the difference between conviction or compromise at work. It's the difference between conviction or compromise with your sexuality. It's it's the difference between conviction or compromise when you're alone in your secret world with what you think, with what you say. See, Life doesn't have to be going according to plan for you to be in the middle of God's plan when you go, okay, God, God, I'm gonna honor you with my life and I'm gonna live with conviction and live in a way that you called me to live even though it may have consequences for me. I love what Clayton Christensen wrote in his book, How Will You Measure Your Life? He's a Harvard professor. He's not a Christian, but he began to do uh, some studies, and I've shared his book a few times over the years, uh, of why all these wealthy CEOs are unsatisfied and how do we begin to raise up this next generation of CEOs that experience a fulfilled life. And in this, he says this, Decide what you'll stand for and then stand for it all the time. that's what conviction is, is deciding what you will stand for and then stand for it all the time. When pressures of life, when when you feel like I'm going to cave in, what are you going to stand for? And then stand for it all the time, whether the wind or the waves beat against you. Come hell or high water, this is who I am and how I'm going to live no matter what. Do you have a conviction about that? First check is an integrity check. Second check is a faithfulness check. A faithfulness check. It, it's, the, it's the difference between best and easiest. Choosing what's best over and above what's easiest. It's faithful. It's what Jesus said in Luke 16:10. He was faithful with a very little thing, will also be faithful with much. He was unfaithful with a very little thing, will also be unfaithful with much much. And interesting, the little, in Jesus' context, was money. It's a faithfulness. I mean, think about this. Joseph, enslaved, could have said, fine, I'm out. This isn't my dream job. (laughs) You know what? I was prized possession in my father's household. I wore the royal coat, the patriarch's coat. Now I'm wearing the coat of a slave. And I have to do work that I didn't have to do because my brothers did that work. I'm out. I give up. It's not my dream job. It's not where I want to be in life. Faithful with what was in front of him is what prepared him for the opportunities before him. And for some, you need to hear this, by the way is you're waiting for your big moment and you're dismissing all the small moments. And you need to go, okay, it is what is in front of me now that I must give most attention to and be diligent with. Choosing best. What is best? When we That's that question. What is the best thing to do? Not the easiest. It's easiest to give in. It's easiest to quit. It's easiest to cop out. It's easiest to half-ass it. Why not? We're going, we're going to be real. okay. I know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, pastor said that. Yeah, I did. Because I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired of hearing people gripe about their current situation instead of being faithful to what's in front of them. Thanks. <laughs> Integrity check, I've got to move on. Faithfulness check. And finally, a word check. Address versus void. I know I've talked about this. I had one guy talk to me. He's like, I've heard some of this before. I said, yeah, I know. We'll probably keep hearing it until we start doing it. We'll probably keep hearing it until we start doing it. It's not enough for us to be hearers of the word, by the way. We must be doers of the word. That's the type of follower of Jesus that will transform this city, your neighborhood, or your workplace. Word check. Address verse avoid. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Truth in love, both. It can't be all truth. You're just a jerk. It can't be all love. It just doesn't know one anything. I'm going to speak the truth, but here's here's what I'm going to say. I want to ask you, okay, is it in the best? Is it for your best? And I want to do it in the best way possible. Is it for your best? Is the reason I'm saying this for your best, not just because I want you to know, but is it for you to grow? Is it for you to become better? Is it is not knowing this will keep you from becoming who you're called to be? And so often we withhold from people and they don't grow and we withhold and so we don't grow. Is it for your best? And then you gotta ask the second question. And is it in the best way? Do I have the right heart? Is it the right time? Is it for your best or in the best Integrity check. Faithfulness check. Word check. And you see that with Joe. I mean, think about that with Joe. He had no idea that moment with the baker and with the cupbearer for him to say what was true and hard in love would be the very thing that propelled him to the palace. See, because if he just told them what was easy and said, hey, you're going to the palace and you're good, the cupbearer woman, he just got lucky. He shot 50%. But as a result, and for you, how about you? How about you? Okay, when life doesn't go according to plan, make sure, make sure you're in the middle of God's plan. God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. It doesn't have to be all working out just right for it actually to be working out as long as you're in the middle of God's plan. Check your integrity. Check your faithfulness. Check your speech. How about you? And I just say this as one word of encouragement. If you're not dead and you're not, (laughs) God's not done, even if you're in the middle of chapter 39. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for Joe's story and that we get the whole story. And God, I ask for a person in here that they would stop judging their part of the story as a failure because they don't know the end story. And so for those who need to cling to you, to run to you, I pray the grace that they would experience that. And for those who need to simply get right with you, would you give them the courage to do that? God, may we be so believed that your plan is far better than our plan. In Jesus' name, amen.